I'm Rashawn Leak, and this is Radioactive, the Roundtable Tuesday edition. If you're new here, welcome, welcome. This show will plug you into grassroots activists, community builders, punk rock farmers, and DIY creatives. Stick around and you'll get a Sundance rap party with the Radioactive team. Meet some of the University of Utah's Access Scholars, and Laura Jones will join us for another update on the people's business with some nonprofits in the community. But first, something cool is happening with Craft Lake City, and joining me to talk about it is Lindy Perry, STEM coordinator. What's going on, Lindy? How you doing? Good to talk to you. I'm glad I could be here today. I know. Nice to have you. So tell us about the new STEM labs. I, I don't, I'm trying to think if that's a new piece to, to Craft Lake, but I love hearing it regardless. So what's going on? Sure. I'm so excited. So uh, our STEM program has largely been about DIY Fest. Of course, Craft Lake City is responsible for the big DIY festival every year. And we love our STEM exhibitors. We've always wanted to take our STEM program and develop it into your round content. And it's finally happening. So the way that we're doing this is we kind of see a need for this like youth to adulthood pipeline of scientific engineers, tinkerers, makers. So we're trying to take our really successful artisan programming and adapt it into scientific content and more technical stuff. We can, you know, talk about hackathons. We can talk about um, 3D printing, things like that. Our first partnership is with the Community Writing Center, which is part of Salt Lake Community College. And we have three workshops planned with them that take expert knowledge in science and join it with this creative writing aspect so that people can really access it in a personal sense. You know, we know that science can make people's lives better. And so that's what we're trying to do with that. That sounds so cool. Where where was this when I was a kid? Oh, my gosh. All right. <laughs> So when's the kickoff? So our kickoff is going to be with this first writing workshop, which is um, February 17th from 6 to 7.30. We're calling it um, a self-care-oriented mental health journaling workshop. Our community writing center partner, our expert is Claire Adams. And I am so excited because she studied under Brene Brown. (laughs) And I don't know. Renee Brown is like my Oprah. Like, oh, that is my wife's Oprah as well. Yes. Later, like, she's the person who gets me through the dark times. I just turned to a Brene Brown book. So Claire Adams has done all of this mental health journaling over the past decade, and we're just so excited to have her lead us through this effort of getting in touch with ourselves, um, learning how to navigate our environment, and science-based best practices for getting through hard times. And Mm. we are also very happy to say that 10% of ticket sales for this kickoff are going to be going to Valley Behavioral Health, who will benefit and will take this self-care oriented workshop and turn it into a community effort so that we can really transcend and make a big impact. Mm. Mm. All right, listeners, you hear that? Just buying a ticket and you're supporting the community. All right. So I got some notes written down and, and this is all right. Partly it's for me, but definitely for my kids. So I hear you got a water rocket outreach program. I I need to dig in. I need to unpack that. What is that? Yes, we're so excited. So last year at DIY Festival, people who came into the STEM building probably saw our little make and take station with water rockets. We are also turning that into a a summer long program where we're going to take it to Title I schools and have 
workshops with kids, but then we're also really, really happy to bring this to other events. So if anyone wants to, if they have a, an event they're hosting and they want to learn more about this, or if they, if you love rockets and you want to volunteer with us, we would love to put you to work shooting off rockets all summer long. <laughs> oh, yes. I, I, yeah. Okay. We're going to take this offline. <laughs> All right. So where can people find out more and get signed up? CraftLakeCity.com is where you'll find all of this. And we'll even have a CraftLakeCity.com forward slash STEM labs aspect where you can find the workshop content we've talked about today. And then CraftLakeCity.com slash volunteer is where you'll find out more about how you can become a rocket volunteer with us. And all of it's on the website. We also maintain our social medias really well. So if you want to check us out on Instagram, it's a great place. We'll be talking to Claire Adams later this week, our workshop instructor, about what she hopes to bring to our workshop later. So anyone with questions can come there. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us. I, I'm i really you. excited to see what happens in the next five to 10 years with this program and ah, see yeah. if we get start launching future scientists in Utah. Launching is the best word to use. <laughs> I mean, I mean, there we go. Nothing by accident on the radio, right? Right. <laughs> All right. Well, take care and thank you so much, Lindy. Thank you so much for having me, Rashawn. All right. And that was Lindy. And just in case anybody didn't know, Lindy is also our resident rock star with the band Soldero. So you can find them also. And we'll leave all this in our show notes on the, on the page. And building on our STEM conversation, I have a scholarship alert from our friends at the Access Scholars, Scholars Program at the University of Utah. They are now accepting applications through March 1st. So get, get it in, everybody. Get it in. So established in 1991, Access Scholars represent women and individuals from all dimensions of diversity who embody the program values of excellence, leadership, and gender equity. To find out more, we've asked for some past and present Access Scholars to join us, including Dr. Brittany Berry-Pusey is co-founder and COO of Avenda Health, which is an artificial intelligence-driven prostate cancer therapy company. She is also an, S an Access Scholar in 2002-2003. None of you can see this, but just in case you're wondering, she's a heavy hitter, y'all. We have Lydia Fries an Access Scholar in 2017-2018. She got her bachelor's in chemistry at the U last year and is a PhD candidate in chemistry at Princeton. And if y'all know me, y'all know I'm a Jersey boy. So Princeton, it's right at home. And we have Muskan Walia, who's been on the show back in December with Nick Burns for her work with UES Utah Youth Environment Solutions Network. An Access Scholar for 2020, she is a second year student at the University of Utah Honors College studying math and philosophy. So what we have here, you'll notice, is we have a group of heavy hitting women who are gifted, talented, and, and just killing it out there. What is going on, ladies? How are you? Hello. Hey, Rashawn. What's up? Nothing. What's going on? I, I had to pause and just, just take a moment and just appreciate that I am in the company of some badass ladies here. So, so let's just start. I want to start with how did the Access Scholars impact your college experience, undergrad, you know, and Dr. Britt, your, your, uh, your career path? Like what, what is it, how has it led the way into, into what you all are doing now? Yeah, I have no doubt that the Access program set me on the career path that I have today. Um, for those of you who aren't familiar with the Access program, you start off right after, right before you enter 
school, you have a summer program. And as a newly graduated high school student moving out for the first time, uh, I remember having, you know, lots of friends over the dorms, waking up for 7 a.m. classes with lots of lots of friends still sleeping on our ground and we'd go into our scientific classes it was just such a good exposure and entrance into the college world and also just being surrounded by other women who were excited about math and sciences were just really really great way to start off my college career and that was dr Britt. Lydia, is, is that something you could share? Is that is that in a similar experience? I mean, I know you have already come through the program uh, as you know from 2017, 2018, but is that kind of how it was? Like, was it just, you know, I mean, you're you're in a room with I and I I was an English major, so bear with me. So I would have to assume that this is normally, you know, when you're getting these programs, it's normally mostly men. So this is a it's a rare experience to be in a room full of other women. Yeah, this was, I, I had a very similar experience. I feel like my cohort was really like fantastic group of women. I came from um, Southern Utah. So I, there wasn't a lot of emphasis in STEM there and a lot of focus on women in STEM. And I definitely wasn't exposed to that. I, I think I was one of maybe two girls in my graduating class who were going to pursue a STEM um, career. So just like having all these women who are interested in similar things, amazing friends, again, like the dorm setup was super fantastic to like get to know these girls a lot. Um, I, my mom was the first person in my family to go to college. So I didn't really know, I've never known anyone who would like really lived in a college dorm. I, so the transition was much easier having these girls there and like, kind of like, you know, it's like these fun STEM classes. So it's like, you're getting into the college life, but very slow. It's really fun. And I think had I not had that, I think my transition to college would have been a whole lot rougher, but it was really fantastic because of that experience. I hear that. And Muscon, who is currently in the university. So what has changed? What is different? And I mean, is it is what these what these ladies are saying? Is it pretty similar or has your experience been a little different? No, it is totally spot on. And I think that's so beautiful that Dr. Britt and um, Lydia and I have, you know, similar backgrounds of um you know, being in an environment where there aren't a lot of women and I'm a first generation student. And so um you have other girls that you can lean on and um you know, it's just a huge network and a family of, of other women that have are paving the path and are letting you, you know, grabbing your hand and letting you go with them. Um, and it's so fun to be on campus and seeing the younger class of access and being able to mentor them and being like, hey, I know you're in access. Do you want to hang out and study or do you want to sit together? And it's it's the like just the brightest experience. Um, I you know, it was when I came into access, I just knew I liked STEM. I had no idea, you know, where I wanted to go. And after that first week, every week in that program, we go through a different STEM discipline. And I remember leaving math week and I was like, I thought I was horrible at math. I thought I hated math. Math is weird, but I like love it for some reason. What is happening? And, and now I'm like majoring in it, which is crazy. And I, you know, have to thank access for that, or I would have just, been like, nope, I don't want to do math. So, um, you know, it really helped illuminate my passions and um, show me again, like science and society and the role that science has in society and also just how to be an advocate in science. So we we talked about, you said advocate, you know, like Lydia, you said other other women and having other women around. So why is diversity important in, in the STEM workforce? And I guess, to, I guess this was more for you, Britt. Why do you feel, or Dr. Britt, I should say, why do you feel like diversity in, is so important in the STEM workforce currently? 
Um, I mean, I don't think diversity is only important in the STEM workforce. I think diversity is important in the entire workforce. Um, you know, being a CEO of a company, that's something we're always thinking about when we look at our hiring policies, who we're adding to our team. We want to make sure, like, you know, we're solving very complex problems all the time. And I think the more diversity that you have, the better your outcomes are. Having people from different backgrounds, different educational backgrounds, just a different way of thinking. That's how you solve these hard problems is bringing diverse people, a diverse group of people together. Um, so I think it's important not only for STEM, but for the workforce in general. No, I, I agree. And, and thank you for correcting me. I apologize. I misspoke. You know, and, and if anybody's listening, they've always heard us talk about how diversity and representation matters. And, and so what I, I want to follow up with you, Dr. Britt, is as the message that you got about your career in STEM before, before this, or, you know, is this something that was kind of, you know, you, you wanted to take the reins almost with, you know, with your own company and kind of, because you see there is a lack of diversity, we should say, when it comes to STEM. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, what brought me to STEM was I love a challenge. I love a, ch a challenge. And so I chose physics as the discipline I wanted to go after because someone told me it was the hardest of all the sciences. I'm like, sign me up. That's what I'm in for. And I always, like, I've never wanted someone to look at me and know exactly everything about me. So I think going into a field where there was no one that looked like me um, was actually a, a driving force. And I'm so excited to see um, you know, this younger generation of so many more women um, going into the STEM fields naturally, um, I think it's really, really exciting. No, agreed, agreed. And for women who are coming up behind you three, you know, what advice would you give who is considering an education or a career in STEM? Yeah, so, um, you know, these days, so I I have a PhD in biomedical physics. But these days, I would not hire myself for a technical role, if I'm to be completely honest. Um, I have gone more into the business direction. Um, and I would say, regardless of what you think you want to do long-term in your career, a STEM background is so helpful. Really, like the core of a STEM education is about problem solving. You can be a great problem solver. You're going after these challenges that no one solved before, especially if you're going into the experimental sciences, you know, you're trying to, you're going to come up with this hypothesis, you're going to come up with these experiments, and most of them are going to fail, and you're going to pick yourself up, learn from it, and move on. And those are skills, regardless of what career path you take, are so essential. You know, if you do decide to stay in the STEM path, if you decide to go out into business, whatever it is, these are all skills that are so helpful. So if anyone's unsure about what they should study in school, I highly, highly recommend the STEM field, um, regardless of what you end up doing long term. Lydia, I want to I want to bring the question over to you. I, I know you said uh, before access, you had a very limited understanding of what it meant to be a scientist or, or a, path, a path in that in that field. And now here you are, you know, getting ready to go down the Ph.D. route. And so what what changed? What changed within the program? What changed within you to really to really go go that direction? Um, so I definitely kind of came into the access program kind of a little bit like Brit, like, oh, I, I like STEM. My favorite class in high school was like biology. It's I don't know, very um, almost like a hunch. I don't think I really knew much of what it was like to be a scientist, what they did. Um, so through the access program, we did like weekly like courses with all these different professors. So I got to meet all these professors and then my cohort as well had very different backgrounds and like varying knowledge of like, you know, 
research lab, post-secondary education, like what kind of whatever um, that I didn't really have from my background. And especially when I joined my lab, I think was the biggest like um, life change in my access experience. I, I joined a lab and I, I, a couple of people were kind of like, oh, if you want to be a scientist, a lot of times you have to get like a master's, a PhD. And I was like, I, I can't do five more years of school. I don't, I don't have money for that. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do, but a lot of STEM PhDs are completely paid for. And I know that sounds like it could be a small thing, but for me, I was like, oh, I can do this now. Like, this is an accessible, like, like way, like route for me because it's like, it's, it's much more like a job than school. And I think meeting the PhD students and then meeting professors who, I, I mean, were on the other side of like that degree path, I think made it so much less intimidating. And like, I went from knowing nothing to be like, okay, like, you know, financially it's very doable it's interesting it's like a job it's not like reading books every day it's like you go into a lab you do something no one's ever done before so it just like I'd say completely changed my path I was like okay I'll, I'll get a bachelor's and figure out what to do from there but definitely pretty quickly after my access year I felt like pretty solidified in what I felt like I wanted to do and that was definitely access was definitely a crucial part of that Muskan I want to I want to go with you so you know follow up with Lynn Lin, Lydia said Lydia said sorry uh, like, tell us how do people, if people are listening and they're interested in the program, how do they find out about access? Where do they go? Because I'm sure there's a lot of people who, who like yourselves, didn't really know that they are really drawn to, to any of the STEM fields. And, and until they get one, that open door and that, and see other women and feel that welcoming, that is not always in a, in there in a male dominated fields. So how do they become a part of access? How do they start going down the path? Yeah. If you are an incoming freshman or a transfer student that's interested in STEM disciplines and advancing gender equity in STEM fields, apply, apply, apply on our website. Um, you, you know, if you're a student or a, a, an older student or a teacher, spread the word to your community and students that you think would be interested. Um, as you said, the application closes on March 1st, and you can learn more about Access Scholars and learn more about other scholars' experiences on our website or Instagram, which is at U of U underscore access. Um, and you can find the links and learn more um, by visiting the KRCL website. And so just to follow up and follow up with that, Muskan, if you are chosen, what are you actually getting? What is it all entailed in, in the... Uh, I'll finger quote for our people who can't see me for the package of access scholars. Yeah, this package is valued at almost over $5,000. And I know that seems intimidating, but there is a cohort of women that are going to support you. This cohort is going to be the size of 30 32 this year, 32 students. Um, and you get access to a unique summer program that will be a beautiful transition from your high school your high school courses, um, but it's an upper division class and it's very collaborative based and not exam based. Um, and, you know, this unique summer experience, networking with faculty in different departments at the University of Utah and a placement in a very innovative and um, top notch research lab on campus and get support from that alumni and faculty. Wow. Wow. All right, listeners, if you are getting your applications before, after that, breakdown i advise you get in there and dr Britt, before i let you go i for anybody who's interested in some of the things that avinda health are doing how do they find out about your your company sure you can look at our company at www.avendahealth.com and um, we are currently in clinical trial stages so um as you mentioned earlier um we have created an ai enabled male lumpectomy for men with prostate cancer we 
We're actually just treating a patient yesterday um, at UCLA and we're treating another patient tomorrow at UCLA as well. And we're launching a nationwide clinical trial this fall. So for those interested in learning more, um, check out our website. Thank you so much, everyone, for taking your time and being a part of the show today. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Radioactive and Lauren Rashawn, to you guys for hosting us today. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank, thank you, guys. Everyone, listen, make sure you check tonight's show notes for an application uh, to the Access Scholars Program, and a link will be embedded in there for you guys to find out more information. This is Radioactive, and I'm Rashawn Leak. And now let's get to the people's business with Radioactive's Laura Jones. Hey, Rashawn, how you doing? That was great conversations about STEM. I love that Access Scholars Program. I wish... I was just graduating from high school to tell you the I, truth. <laughs> I I love it. I I mean I just love that we are cre- we we are recognizing a need and we're going after it and trying to fill it because we I mean we all know we need more women in STEM. It's just and it's I'm sure it has to be intimidating when you start taking those upper level classes and you start dwindling down the number of female participants. Well, before we get into the people's business, just I wanted to say two things. First, happy lunar new year today. And second, Free Fair February started today. So okay. if you are taking public transportation or want to check, I want to take the front runner and go up to Ogden and, and kind of walk around and then come back down. Their entire operation, Free Fair February, check Rallies and Resources and our, our Connect page for more details, folks. Let's get into the people's business here on week three, day 11, Rashawn. Oh, my God. If, if is it really day yeah. 11? Where's the time going, Laura? Well, and if it's only a 45-day session, we're almost a quarter quarter of the way through. Of the way through. And joining us to talk about the people's business, we have Deborah Case, co-director of the League of Women Voters of Utah's Legislative Action Committee. Hey Deb, how you doing? I'm doing great. And I, you know, I have to laugh again. You know, they have such a weird counting uh, way for these days. On my piece of paper over here, it says day 15. But So we're on day 15 then. Uh, yes. See, I told you, I cannot. <laughs> Making moves. Making moves. <laughs> All right. So joining us as well, we have Mesa Gonzalez of the Healthy Environmental Alliance of Utah, also known as Heal Utah. Hey, Mesa, how you doing? Hello, I'm doing pretty good. Thank you so much for having us on. Of course. Nice to see you, Maysay. Excited to hear what's going on. So, Rashawn, let's let's start with the league. And we talked a lot last week about the about taxes. And mm-hmm. I don't know if you've been paying attention, but we need an update on the efforts to repeal or create some sort of rebate on the sales tax on food. Deborah Case, what you got? It's pretty amazing. The food tax is continuing to heat up the capital kitchen, so to speak. Now, last Friday, we thought that the food tax was dead in the water. However, certain groups like the WSLC have picked up the project and are breathing new life into it by doing things like writing a resolution, which they're hoping to pass tomorrow. But today, um, at 10 a.m., there was a press conference being held on the steps of the Capitol. Yes, in this cold weather. Mm. So many groups are calling to stand up against the food tax. But um, there were two representatives, actually, that got up and spoke. They're forming a bipartisan support for the tax bill now. So they're changing it up a bit here, okay? Now, this is actually a bipartisan effort by the Democratic representative Rosemary Lesser and Republican Judy Weeks Rohner to um, jointly promote and support their tax bills. Lesser has um, HB 165, and Rohner is doing HB 203, but they're joining together. So this is not a partisan deal. You have both Democrats and Republicans running their own bills on this and working together to gain support. But as of right now, 
it's still floundering. That's kind of why they're having the, the, the press conference on the steps. So they're supporting the legislator, but not enough. The community really supports it, but this is where that action really needs to be taken by the citizens. All right, so it's, folks need to be reaching out. You need to be looking up your call, lawmakers. Pick up them phones, emails. And the league, you 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 have advice on how to do that, right, Deb? Oh, yes, I do. Last week, I gave you some advice on how to uh, go ahead and write a good email. And today, I wanted to tell you how to go ahead and get uh, in touch with your particular representatives. Okay, it's pretty, pretty easy. So what you want to do is when you go to the computer and you're going to go to the legislative website, it's le.utah.gov. It's really, really simple. You go there and then up on the upper right-hand side, it's going to say legislators. Okay. Click on that little button. I'm sorry, upper left-hand side, and then click on that button. And down the third one down, it's going to say something about find your address. Well, click on that one. You put in your own address and your own zip code, click on that. And it's going to bring up both your representative and your Senator. And that when you click on those, it's going to have a nice picture and their information. You can click on either one of those, and that's going to take you to, to a place where their own site, where it's going to give you their email and their phone number. And it's also going to have an area right there for you to just contact them. So you could just fill out the form right there and send it to them immediately. All right. And another bill you're watching has to do with sexual solicitation. What's that one about, Deb? Sexual solicitation. All right. Now, this is this is an interesting one. Our lawmakers for or against it? <laughs> <laughs> the bill, the bill, the bill. Well, I think this one's a little bit, this one's a little bit different now. So Republican Representative Susan uh, Pulsifer is, uh, well, she's heating things up in a different way. Here's is HB81, and this is a sexual solicitation amendment. But now there is a sexual solicitation bill out there that might just start evening out the playing field a bit. So this is a different approach, okay? This bill addresses the supply and demand aspect of the product at hand and is kind of lightening mm. the load on the suppliers mm. and tightening things up on the end of the buyers. So what does this mean? It means that anyone caught seeking or actively, you know, patronizing an illegal sex worker will be facing greater punishments and those selling the illegal goods will be less partially criminalized. Interesting. So, it's been an ongoing yeah, conversation. This is heating up, Laura. <laughs> yeah, this is this is a little different. So first off, the patrons or, or Johns seeking to purchase the, the product will now have to go through a rehabilitation course. Yes, <laughs> like the traffic school for traffic violations, There, these Johns will have to go to a John school where they will learn about the harmful impacts of what they're actually doing. Imagine um, asking your family or your employer for time off for your. Uh, yes, I'm gonna need some time off. I gotta go to uh, sex order. class. Sex <laughs> okay, we're giggling about this, but this has long been a conversation <laughs> in how to deal with um, prostitution, uh, human trafficking, frankly, in our community, and I I kind of like that. I'm gonna have to go. No, look that I, up. I do like that we're addressing mm -hmm. it, Laura. It, it, yeah, especially the human trafficking. You know, I, I mean, I, I think I might be in the minority when I think. Adults should be free to do adult things. But with the human trafficking piece, I think that brings in a whole nother element. Deb, what is the league doing this week in room 105 from 1230 to 2 on Thursday? From 1230 to 2, we're actually going to have Representative uh, Pulsifer is actually going to be coming to speak to us. So we would love it if uh, you guys want to come on over. We're going to be in uh, room 105. We're going to be live in person, but we're doing a hybrid event so we are also on Zoom. So if you want to go over to our website, 
League of Women's Voters of Utah. Go on over to the calendar and check down to the day on Thursday. There's a Zoom link right there that you could click on and go immediately there. Thanks so much for the update thank on the people's business, Thank you so business, much, Deb. Deb. All right. Thank you. And Mesa Gonzalez now of Heal Utah. Tons of bills in your uh, week two report from the Capitol. And new Inland Port bill that you're actually excited about at Heal Utah? Yeah, I'm interested. It sounds sounds weird that we're excited for one, but yes, we're super excited uh, that we got an introduction to Senate Bill 136, titled Air Quality Board Amendments. Uh, this was introduced by Luz Escamilla, and this is actually a bill that Heal Utah helped create the language for. It is super connected with the inland port. So as you know, in the past, a lot of environmental groups like Heal and Allies have been trying to halt this port from being produced. But we're starting to strategize um, future regulations due to its current operating and signs of future development. So while we still want to keep pushing for halting this port, we're starting to look at legislators are looking to push this through and we need to be ready for when that happens. So this bill would task the Air Quality Policy Board with creating a Utah diesel emissions reduction plan, which Mm. is something we're taking from Texas. They have one called the Texas Diesel Emission Program. And this actually passed with bipartisan support in Texas. So we're really kind of putting that forward that this is something that we can have in both parties uh, favor. And essentially this bill would use incentivizing program to switch diesel vehicles and equipment in the inland port to new upgrade equipment with alternative fuel or electric to reduce pollution and improve the air quality. So So this is another one to get on the horn, Rashawn, and talk to your lawmakers about supporting, regardless of how you feel about the existence of the inland port, Rashawn. I I like that. I think that's a smart step because, you know, you want to have contingency plans just in case this this does pass. What are our next steps and how can we get in and make sure we're ready to hit the ground running? And this also bears noting here, and that is that Heal Utah, may say, recently got 200K from the EPA. Mm. This has to do with air quality, too. What are you guys going to use that money for? Yeah, definitely. We're super excited to announce that Heal has received our first federal grant to work on environmental justice here in Salt Lake. So this grant is going to fund a project to add air quality monitor equipment to buses serving the west side of the valley. Um, This is going to be in an effort to track the data and showcase that different communities are experiencing air quality pollution at different levels. So right now we're getting a lot of our air quality data as big counties. Like when you look up air quality data, it's going to say Salt Lake's green, right? Mm -hmm. But we're not getting those neighborhood level uh, data points showing, hey, Rose Park actually right now is at moderate level compared to the avenues being at a green level. So that county air quality report just shows like a median almost like a, just a general, yeah, we're, we're okay, but we're going to start breaking that down more and start asking questions and really involving with the community to get them civically engaged and going up to the legislators and saying, Hey, why is the West side being impacted so much differently than the East side of the Valley? So super excited for this grant. Well, and having that data, Rashawn's like, you can say all day long, the West side of Salt Lake is getting hit harder, but it's easy to dismiss if you don't have Mm -hmm. the data that this will create. And I love the name of the program uh, may say it's combating East West disparities and air pollution exposure through civic engagement or capiche. Are you going to call (laughs) it? Uh, capi- Capiche. Well, and to your point, Laura, I mean, I think having that granular look 
it changes the conversation because then you mm-hmm. can't just go and pull back like Maysay was talking about, like, oh, well, the county's doing well. Mm-hmm. But no, let's talk about these really impacted areas. And then yeah. I think you can tie in like health. Like, are we seeing if this area is worse? Are we seeing more, let's say, um, asthma on the west side mm-hmm. versus the east side and things like that? So it's it opens up the floodgates for a lot more research. I'm yeah. Hoping. Well, and when you think about how the west side of Salt Lake City can is trapped in these asthma corridors mm-hmm. created by our transportation, there's I-15, there's I-215, 201s over there. Yeah, and um, uh, it's uh, you know I've lived for almost 30 years, stones throw from the freeway and the refinery, and I can tell you, I don't I don't feel so hot. Some days as a result. Hey, yeah. Maysay, you are also over at Heal Utah, virtually training citizens on the issues and how to lobby. When does that happen? How can folks get involved during the session? Yeah, definitely. So we're meeting virtually or in person all the, the whole legislative session, um, Tuesday and Thursday from 9 to 12 p.m. Uh, you guys can find more info on our website, utah.org slash lobbying. Um, and there we're giving you all the tools, um, email drafts, all the facts, all the info that you need to go talk to your representatives and your senators to push for this change. Um, and it's been a lot of fun. And we're actually getting geared up for a Women's Day on the Hill pretty soon. This is going to be on Tuesday, February 15th from 10 to 1 p.m. and 3.30 to 4.30 p.m. So we'll have some kind of specific days to help uh, to highlight different issues within the intersectionality of environmentalism. May say, I want to follow with a question for the virtual trainings. Are you also going to be recording them for people who can't, maybe they, you know, something's going on, they can't make it even virtual, they'll still be able to, you know, follow, watch, and then ask whatever necessary questions they have? Yes, definitely. We have a recorded one up on our YouTube, and we kind of periodically do build breakdowns um, on our social media platforms as well. That way, if you're not able to do it, because the timing's really weird, another side thing of what the legislator's trying to do to not get people up there, but we're going to try to break down all of those barriers and having that video ready for you guys can just have the tools and email, text, contact your reps whenever it's best for you, because remember, they work for us. And they say, as as we ring off with you here, there's so much more. Sign up for the email, folks, and get the newsletter so you can track all the bills. And you have a bill tracker, correct? Yes, we have a bill tracker, tealutah.org slash bill tracker. As you mentioned, we're on day 11 or 15. So a lot of things- Depends on when you start counting. (laughs) I love it. Things are speeding up. We're seeing a lot of bills uh, being introduced and we're still kind of wrapping our heads around a lot of these. So we'll just keep you up to date as we learn more about the details and just really get to the nitty gritty of them. Sometimes they come out sounding super great. And then there's like a line Mm -hmm. that throw everything off. So well, and I I want to dive into some more of the Inland Port, but I think that's a whole show, Rishon. That is a whole show. You've heard Uh, that. they may be reconstituting the board and Salt Lake City might repre- lose its representation. Wow. Wow. And uh, hot off the presses, just to follow up with the sexual solicitation bill, uh, that any Johns are also facing a potential felony charge on their record. So there's there's a lot to that sexual solicitation bill. And there's so much in the Inland Port bill. Man, Laura. Yep. May say thank you so much. <sighs> Thank you, Thank you so much, Maysay, for coming in. 
Check tonight's show notes for links to Heal Utah as well as the League of Women Voters of Utah. I do get granular in the show notes, so I always include links to the bills that we talk about. So, folks, lots of resources when we talk about the people's business for you to get involved and, you know, use your voice. Talk to your elected representatives. And that is the People's Business Update. Rashawn? I I love it. And I I, I really hope that our listeners are are really just, you know, one with the two classes that Maysay is offering and then the little tidbits of knowledge that that Deb has dropped on people. There's this is the time to get involved. This is the time to make sure your voices are heard and and it's time to get action. I'm Rashawn Leak, and this is the Roundtable Tuesday edition of Radioactive. When we come back, it's a Sundance rap party. Right, Laura? Yeah, Cody D, Eric P. Nelson, Autumn Thatcher, and I are going to break down the festival with our picks and takes. Oh, man, I, I still, you know, I mean, when it's all, when I, I still can't get my head around the Cosby. That's, I keep going to that. Every time I see Eric. Our kids are on the same basketball team. So I'm like, Eric Cosby. Oh, my gosh. It's crazy. We go there. We go there. I know you do. I know you do. That's next on Radioactive here on KRCL 90.9 FM. The Utah Black Artists Collective connects and showcases artists of color throughout the state. The nonprofit also offers a mentorship program for young artists of color. More details at ublack.org. That's U-B-L-A-C dot org. Send your Valentine a love note on the radio. Valentine's Day is Monday, February 14th, and we're playing Cupid with KRCL Love Notes. Call the Love Note hotline and leave a message or shout out for that special person or even a local organization. Call 801-903-1279 to leave your love note. Then tune in KRCL Monday, February 14th from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. to hear love songs, breakup songs, makeup songs, and listener love notes on air. Find the number and details at krcl.org. Welcome back to Radioactive. I'm Laura Jones. Coming up at 7 o'clock, Democracy Now!, followed by Vagabond Radio with Barbie at 8, Connor's Late Night Lowdown at 10.30, Super Sounds with Chovy at 1 a.m. Find all of our programming and the Radioactive archives online at krcl.org. For the rest of the hour, a Sundance Film Festival wrap party with the Radioactive Festival team which included Eric P. Nelson, Cody D. of Maximum Distortion, our virtual red carpet correspondent, Autumn Thatcher, and myself. I got us all on a Zoom session recently to talk about what we loved at this year's festival. We're going to start with Autumn, who says she was overwhelmed by the documentaries this year. Here we go. Let's start there. You you ended up in a lot of documentaries from Genius, the Kanye trilogy, to Phoenix Rising, Evan Rachel Wood. What else saw you that upset you? Um, I watched the American Dreams and other fairy, the American Dream and other fairy tales, uh, co-directed by Abigail Disney. So this one is she she examines the. Uh, the way in which employees are treated at the Disney Disneyland theme park in Anaheim, California. And she juxtaposes the quote unquote happiest place on earth with the surrounding environment and city of Anaheim. And um, the people that she focuses on in this documentary are custodians. And they are making, at the time of filming, they were making $15 an hour. And apparently you need to make about $24 an hour at minimum 
to keep up with cost of living and housing in Anaheim. And most of, they couldn't afford to live. Like most of them, there was a family, a couple that had four kids living in tents in their in-laws backyard. Uh, there was like a meeting that she attended that was a bunch of cast members that she said, show of hands, how many of you know Disney employees who have been on food stamps, who have lived in their cars? And it was just everyone there raised their hand because they, they knew people that they worked with that had were living like this. So it was just oh, too depressing. It was so depressing. <laughs> Makes you reconsider your trip to Disney in, in some ways. And what is her relation to the Disney legacy after all? So she is the granddaughter of co-founder uh, Roy O. Disney. And she says early on in the film that she doesn't have a say in anything, any decisions that the company makes. Um, but she is she has benefited from the success of the corporation through uh, stocks and shares. Um, at one point, I think one of the biggest like shocking moments is when we find out that the current CEO, Bob Iger, I believe made $65 million in one year in 2018, which was almost a little over $1,400 more. 1,400 times? Five, 1,400 times. Yes. Thank you. Than the average employee at their theme park. So Again, the theme popping up in my mind is not since the Gilded Age has we had such a gap, an abyss between the haves and the have-nots. And what an interesting way to render that through through Disney. But you're so sad now about a small world song, I'm guessing. Yes, I finished that one and I was just I'm like, oh, I just need a break from documentaries. Next year, I want to do some like quirky midnight stuff, I think. Well, that takes us to Eric P. Nelson because he loves the quirky midnight stuff. And I'm curious about Piggy, which was on your radar. It was it was everything I wanted it to be. I mean, it was I saw five out of the six midnight films and Piggy was tied for first. Um, it, it was just the 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 leading actor, uh, Laura Galan, just was just fantastic. I mean, more or less, it's 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 a young girl's getting bullied um, by a couple of her schoolmates. She sees, and she's just in that fit of rage of getting bullied, hating everything. She sees something terrible happen to these bullies, and in that moment, decides to do nothing. And then she's dealing with that decision through the rest of the movie of what. Just, but in that blind, like when you're getting bullied in the in the middle of this, like you do not care what happens to these people. And then she kind of comes around of, do I, I should care? They are human beings. And then the relationship with the person that that did these things, I, it it was it was fantastic. Huge morality tale, and I think kind of interesting against the current times we're in because. I feel guilty when people get their comeuppance on social media because it's like, oh, they're getting destroyed. And that's kind of what's at play here, too. Yeah, but in a midnight, gory Sundance film. <laughs> so so it's, yeah, it's bullies getting their comeuppance, but in a very horror genre way. Yeah, it was, it was good. And it was uh, subtitled. Um, it's a film from Spain and usually late night subtitles I can't handle because it's late at night but I was glued to this movie from start to finish 
You said it tied for number one in your midnight slate of choices. What was the other one? The other one was Babysitter. Uh-oh. And it this is... This hand that rocks the cradle territory? No. I mean, it was... And this is one I've, I've, I've struggled to kind of describe what it's about, but it kind of opens up with a bunch of a bunch of dudes at a, like an MMA fight. Um, and the, the whole movie is just incredibly filmed, just fast paced from start to finish. Um, and they're celebrating after a, a night out of being dudes with fights and beers and girls and all that stuff. And he kisses a reporter on live TV and you can't do that. And then it's him trying to figure out, he starts to write a, an apology book to all women for because of he is a misogynist and then his feminist brother jumps in and tries to co-write it and he's got a new baby and his wife is deep in the throes of postpartum depression she rents a hotel room to go sleep in to get away from the husband and the baby and it's it's a wild movie it's funny from start to finish and then a babysitter jumps in and just it, it was it was great. I, I highly recommend both of those films. It's a midnight comedy. Um, so it's not it's not scary. It's not a spooky one. Um, but it was highly recommended. Eric, you are our Sundance and 60 reporter this year. And you also kept tabs on everything's for for locals. And before we started rolling, you mentioned how much of the Q&As are still online. Um, a lot of them have been exported from the Sundance platform to the YouTube channels of the folks who are hosting them, right? Yep, yep. So so all of those Q&As from all the films are available. Um, and that's part of the, the great um, thing about Sundance is you see a film, you have questions about it, and then you get to listen to the filmmakers and the actors talk, talk through things. Sometimes they answer your questions and sometimes they don't. Um, but it, it's a great way to kind of interact with, with these films, especially Sundance, because usually these movies end and you're just staring at the screen like, what, what happened? Yeah, what now? Someone explain this to me. Yeah. And you've also been tracking how many have been, been picked up. Well, loosely tracking, I should say. Yeah. Um, lots of things went into the festival with distribution deals already, which is kind of a weird, I, I mean, that's just how things are now. Yeah, like the Cosby uh, documentary that Kamau Bell did is going out on Showtime pretty much right away. It is out right now. Yeah, all four episodes debuted Sunday night on Showtime. Um, the the Lucy and Desi um, the, from Amy, Amy Poehler is going to be on Hulu in a couple weeks. Um, a lot of things are already going to be out there in the next couple months. All right, Eric, you'll do a post about that, right? Yep. Check our Sundance coverage. Now, Cody D, I am reminded of your infamous review of Mandy with Nick Cage a couple years ago. So I'm curious how the film fest turned out for you. Again, all virtual, how you adapted and all of that. Cody D. Um, I went into this kind of uh, jaded after they, you know, pulled the rug out from under us. And uh, so I went into it. I got started late in the, in the reselection process. Um, I don't know how, but every time, every film festival I've ever started, I've started with a film that I really love. And, uh, this year was no different. So I've been lucky that way. What was and that film? 
that film was uh, 892. Um, it wasn't my favorite movie film of the festival, like usual, but it was really good. Um, Remind folks what my, 892 is about. So 892 um, was about a U.S. Marine veteran who was having payment issues with the VA and uh, decided to, as a last resort, um, just mostly to get attention and or draw attention to the to the issue at hand was uh, he walked into a Wells Fargo bank in Atlanta and told the teller he had a bomb. I didn't know going into this that this was a tr based on a true story. And um, so, yeah. And it also didn't play out how I thought it was going to. It, it, for me, it ended up being more like a, a dog day afternoon. So it's primarily shot on location at this bank. And I, I was hoping that there would be like a court deal and the, you know, whole aftermath, but it takes place start. Well, it doesn't start there, but it mostly starts at this bank and ends at the bank. So it was, uh, like I said, pretty much a dog day afternoon for me. Pretty taut psychological thriller. It sounds like. Yes. Yes. And, uh, yeah, the cast was great. It also was a U.S. dramatic special jury award winner for ensemble cast. And, uh, and also I was lucky enough to see, I think, five or six award winners this time around. So yeah, it was a great way to, and that was also Michael K. Williams, uh, final screen role before he passed. And, uh, yeah, it's really good. You said 892 is the film you went into the festival expecting to love and you did, but not the one you loved the most. What'd you like the most? I, well, it's a one, a one B I love Navalny and descendant. Both of those, um, not only were they well done, but they're extremely important stories um, that needed to be told. Um, I loved them for different reasons. Navalny is uh, the story of Alexei Navalny, um, the Russian uh, opposition to Putin who was poisoned. And that is the most incredible uh, documentary I've ever seen. It was, it was like watching an action thriller. And it was added at the last minute, kind of cloak and dagger. Yes. Uh, just the same way the story is, because it goes into breaking down how they figured out or how they've tied it back to Putin. I, it was unbelievable. I was, I, <laughs> I, I was riveted. I couldn't look away. It was amazing. And uh, so that was, you know, 1A or 1B could be descendant because it's such an important story that nobody knows about. And, um, you know, the finding of the, of the slave ship that they just, well, I, I guess to just set it up in Africa town back in 1860, um, it was illegal to bring slaves in, but they were still doing it, even though it was punishable by death. They brought the, oh, I have it written down, so I can never remember the name of the ship. Uh, the, Cl the Clotilda? The Clotilda, yes. And they unloaded the slaves got them on shore and then they destroyed the, uh, the schooner somewhere in a river off of um, Africa town. And in two, what, two years ago, they found it. It's Africa town off the U S coast in Alabama. Yes. <clears throat> and um, of all people, of all the people that were looking for it, the, the two people that found it were an investigative reporter and a guy who owns a service station in Africa town. So it's just a story that you just can't believe is, happening but it did and um yeah so very very important stories to me 
And so those are, those are my two. The so two documentaries that um, really got to you, also documentaries that got to Autumn. Eric, were there documentaries that you wanted to shout out? Yeah, I, I usually shy away from documentaries for the exact reason that Autumn was talking about. It's just they, if you see too many, they, they, they start to be a bummer. Um, but the Meet Me in the Bathroom, it was, that was, I think, the last movie I watched at the festival. And it was just, it was just great. It was based off the book that came out um, a couple of years ago from Liz, Lizzie Goodman. It's pretty much a, a screenshot of about 2000 to 2003, the New York rock and roll scene. So it's the Strokes, um, the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs, LCD Sound System, TV on the radio, uh, the Moldy Peaches. So it's just kind of that story of artistic freedom in New York, um, pre 9-11 and then kind of post 9-11 and how that influenced kind of everything that was going on down there. And it just, all that night, it was just the strokes and the yeah, yeah, yeahs on the radio. It, it was just a really great, a great film. So a documentary that did not make you sad. Exactly. It was, it was a very, same with um, the Nothing Compares. The Sinead O'Connor documentary, like Sinead O'Connor was before my time, like nothing compares to you and the Saturday Night Live ripping up of the Pope. Those were my frame of reference for Sinead. So watching this and just seeing everything she was doing from the start of her career was just, it was great. I really liked that one. Um, yeah, there were some good documentaries in there. The, the Kanye one, episode one of three. Kanye seems like a pretty good guy at this point. <laughs> Although he's he's still asking for um, creative control, but I think the horse yeah. has left the barn, Autumn. And that's why I wanted to see it. Um, because if he did, if something does happen, I'm like, is this going to change from the Sundance version to the Netflix version? So I, 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 I we'll see. We'll see. Well, I had two documentaries that uh, I really liked, plus a short film. If you got to keep your eyes out for Hallelujah and go and check our Sundance tab at krcl.org, folks, for a link. It's a short film that was uh, a proof of concept for a longer film by this first-time filmmaker out of Compton, Victor Gabriel, and his producing partner, Duran Jones. And yes, Duran Jones, not Duran Jones and the indications. I just want to make that clear right, right now, folks. But you got to watch for that and go find the short. But the two documentaries I wanted to recommend out of Sundance that you should be able to get pretty soon on streaming is La Guerra Civil, which is a story of the fight 25 years ago between Oscar de la Hoya, the challenger, and Julio Rodrigo Chavez, the reigning champion at the time, one a Mexican national, one a Mexican-American, and it just split the Latino-Latina community. Um, there's interesting story behind the story, and if you go to the latinxhouse.org, you can get all of their conversations, uh, including one with uh, featuring uh, the filmmaker, Eva Longoria Bastone, former Desperate Housewife, right? And Oscar de la Hoya. There's also a great conversation on the Sundance channel that is Eva and Rosie Perez. So that's what I love, like you are saying earlier, Eric, all these conversations about the stories behind the stories. What's really cool about La Guerra Civil is 
Oscar apparently has been filming himself since he was five. So he's got tons of footage that just uh, helps tell the story. So I do recommend that one. And then lastly, folks, TikTok boom. I was texting Autumn the other night as everything made me gasp. Right, Autumn? Yes. And then I was starting to gasp. And I'm like, no. <laughs> and then I'm like, I can't. No more documentaries. <laughs> and you're like, what's freaking you out? I'm just going back to our, our text chain. And you're like, maybe I should stay away. I said, no, you have young kids. <laughs> you said, damn it. Yeah. So here are a couple of my notes from TikTok Boom. It's all about the TikTok app, where it came from, its history. And I wrote, social media influencer was the fourth highest aspiration among elementary school students. That's one of the experts in the film talking about what it's doing to kids, uh, that we're all performing happiness all the time. I, I think it's just a giant FOMO machine. And I'm picking on TikTok here because all these social media apps are like this. And then there's the whole China story and this new term that um, came out of this film for me, algorithmic punishment. There's a, a young woman in the film documentary again about TikTok, and she decides she wants to use her followers attention to raise awareness about the Uyghurs in China and what she has researched and found to be going on. So she does a straight up video and guess what within 24 hours, it's a black box on her post. So then she comes up with the idea to do fashion tutorials. So while she's curling her eyelashes, she's giving out facts about China and she gets away with it for a little and then they fit, figure it out and that one is banned as well. So much more um, in this film about TikTok boom about the shadow ban of ugly people or obese people in Brazil that folks are figuring out is happening um, and how the audience responds to it, the TikTok folks, how TikTok responds. And it's not just TikTok, but it is a landscape of what is going on with algorithms um, feeding our polarization. Um, we talk about agency, free will, my body, my choice, but when we go into social media, we're turning our choices over to an algorithm that feeds our worst nature. So TikTok boom, I learned a ton about influencers that I was just writing off um, about um, the, the business of being an influencer that is pretty amazing for folks that are creatives. But seriously, as I said to Autumn in our text, Jane, I am freaked the bleep out. So there you go. There's my review. <laughs> what do you think, Cody? Did you see it? Yeah, and it freaked me out as well. And, and I was holding off because people have been telling me, oh, you got to download this app. It's so, so great. And I was like, well, this documentary, I'll, I'll hold off judgment until I see it. It freaked me out in the sense that it it learns your eyes. It, like it, it, it learns so much about you just by looking into the screen. I, I was like, yeah, no, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, there was a, a post that popped up from from someone in the film because they're constantly bringing in different short short films from the app. And this one young woman says, took me 30 years to figure out that I was bisexual and TikTok did it in 37 seconds. Yep, yep, exactly. It's able to process so much data, Cody D. It's crazy. And I just was like, you know, I waste enough time on the other three apps that I, you know, social medias that I have. I don't need to add this one. So I'm going to, I'm going to bow out, but uh, good on you for those that do do it. So, well, and it's already got a district. It went into the festival. Like we were talking earlier, Eric, I believe with a distribution deal, it's by the same filmmaker who did coded bias at Sundance. 
And that's a wrap for Sundance 2022. You can check the show notes as well as the Sundance page at krcl.org to follow up on the films as well as the rest of our guests, their organizations, their causes, that application for the Access Scholars Program at the U. It's all online at krcl.org. I'm Laura Jones, and on behalf of community co-host Rashawn Leak, thank you for tuning in, for plugging into your community here with Radioactive weeknights at 6 on KRCL. Listeners, Community Radio of Utah. Have a great night, folks. <laughs>